0: That's one way to get back to family farm. Today I'm talking about hell or high water. This is Scott's self indulgent Movie Podcast. hello movie friends welcome to scott's self-indulgent movie podcast i am scott and after a bit of a hiatus we're getting uh we're finishing up our what are modern westerns about series with hell or high water which was written by one taylor sheridan who is another one of the kind of defining people in terms of the neo-western movement and uh for reasons i'll get into shortly so without further ado let's get started if you're going to talk about neo-westerns eventually you're going to talk about taylor sheridan for those that don't know, Sheridan is a former actor who now does the majority of his work behind the camera as a writer, director, and showrunner for films like Those Who Wish Me Dead, Wind River, and Sicario, and the biggest show on streaming that I haven't seen a second of to date, Yellowstone, and all of its respective spin offs. Man loves him a western. But while Yellowstone looks and feels more like an updated take on the primetime melodrama-like Dynasty, I think his best western to date is the Academy Award nominated and honestly one of my favorite films The Last Ten Years, Hell or High Water. The film centers around brothers Toby and Tanner Howard, Chris Pine and Ben Foster, who are on a mission to save their family farm. That's about to be repossessed by a bank thanks to an awful reverse mortgage and snatch up the oil that's just been discovered on the property. Their solution? Rob the bank that sold their deceased mother, the mortgage. But the robberies gained the attention of two Texas Rangers, including the soon-to-retire Marcus Hamilton, played by Jeff Bridges, and his partner, Alberto Parker, Gil Birmingham, who were trying to figure out where these brothers will strike next. So there is a lot to talk about in this movie, including the central moral conflict and ideas that run throughout the film, even to its final lines. But first, we should talk about the acting and the visuals in the film, because both are spectacular. So we have great performances across the board. The four leads of this movie are all so damn good, and so well suited to the parts they've been cast in. We'll start with Chris Pine and Ben Foster as Toby and Tanner. I was admittedly so-so on Chris Pine as an actor for some time, mostly because he either kept playing or kept getting cast as his Devil May Care portrayal of Captain Kirk. Almost all of his performances were big, with a lot of giant line deliveries and exaggerated physicality. This movie changed my perspective on his abilities. The key to Toby, as a character, is that he hates what he's doing. He fully understands how distressing, if not traumatic, the robberies will be on the people they're kidnapping to pull them off, nor does he like the risk it puts on himself and his brother. And he really seems to hate that his brother is loving every second of this and acting like the loose cannon that he is. There's a simmering anger that has seemingly nowhere to go, hence doing stuff like beating up a guy at a gas station. Meanwhile, Ben Foster as Tanner is seemingly having the time of his life and playing into the unpredictable wild man type he plays so well. Granted, the film also hints that Tanner is partially like this because he's been in and out of prison his entire life and is treating this experience like a last hurrah where he can have fun and save his family's land before leaving this earth. He cares about two things, his own detached amusement and his family, and that's it. On the other end of the law, we have Jeff Bridges' Marcus Hamilton, who isn't treating this whole affair like the dangerous hunt for heavily armed criminals that it is. Everything about Hamilton screams old-school cowboy, who loves to tell tall tales, from his hat to his penchant for stories or how he talks. His partner Parker is being kind about it, since Hamilton seems to be living it up before he retires and is taking the case seriously. Unfortunately for everyone, that reverie and the fun cops and robbers bit is all comes crashing down in the film's main shootout, but we'll get to that soon. Still, all four leads bounce off each other incredibly well and add so much character just through acting. We also have pointed visuals. What I'm going to say will sound harsh, but I mean this as a compliment. This movie looks dreary and dead, in a very good way. From a color palette standpoint, it's very close to No Country for Old Men, with an emphasis on tans and browns and earthy tones. Yet everything looks dirtier here. This is amplified by wide shots that show off ghost towns, abandoned houses, and fields that have been run dry. There's a lot to pull from this, including how the dream of the American West is dead and dying, but within the movie, it's hammering home how many des- how desperate so many of Americans were and are in the wake of the 2008 financial crash. There's so many pointed shots of destroyed property and faded billboards for banks that took advantage of the Tanner's mother, and so many other people. And that murky, dirty feel leans into the film's main idea. What's right? The biggest takeaway from most of the modern westerns we've discussed has been a refusal to accept simple or easy labels and morals, and to portray a harder, less simple world than the ones portrayed in old Technicolor and black and white westerns. But nothing about the Tanner's mission, their tactics, and the police's efforts to stop them are easy to define as either good or evil. The Tanners' mission is noble as far as thieves are concerned. They're stealing from a bank that in essence stole from them to pay off the same bank. There's kind of a poetry to that. Use their own money to pay off their shitty mortgage that they sold your ailing mother. That's beautiful. And especially beautiful if you take into account how no one responsible for the 2008 financial crash went to jail and many of the institutions that killed trillions in people's hard-earned savings are still alive and thriving, including the higher-ups. Nothing is different. Meanwhile, everyday people suffered and continue to suffer. This is perfectly exemplified in one of my favorite little scenes where a waitress at a local restaurant is asked to give up a $100 tip because the bill is evidence. And that woman really needs that money, and now you're going to take it away from her because it was obtained from a place that has all of the money? Of course, how do you steal money from a bank? Well, you have to rob them. And there's no way to pull off a robbery other than using force and the threat of violence against people who may be in similar situations to yourself or at best live a semi-comfortable life. That's why Toby is paired with Tanner, even though Tanner is a loose cannon, because you'll believe he'll hurt someone. Toby might hate how Tanner acts, but he also needs Tanner to get this done, so he's made a moral compromise. On the other side, Jeff Bridges' Texas Ranger should take this more seriously, and stop them as quickly as possible, precisely because Tanner is so dangerous. Which is an upending of the stalwart western hero like Gary Cooper. He acts like he's in a movie, until reality becomes impossible to ignore. Unfortunately, it takes the murder of Alberto at Tanner's hands to push Bridges into action, where he finally takes charge and coordinates the attack that puts Tanner down for good. Which brings us to the first, and possibly not final, meeting between Toby and Marcus. The undercurrent of this scene is nail-bitingly tense, since it's very clear that Marcus wants vengeance for Alberto's death and holds Toby responsible. And Toby doesn't deny it. Instead, he explains why he did what he did, and how the extreme poverty that he and his brother grew up in helped to form them into who they became, and he doesn't want that for his sons. Toby also understands why Marcus is here and doesn't blame him. He is admitting his part in Alberto's death and that he understood what could happen if he brought his brother into this job. But then again, what else was he supposed to do for his family? Let them starve? Let their land get taken from them? Let them turn out like him? At the same time, Marcus is also trying to bury his own guilt for not taking Tanner seriously until it was too late, even if he doesn't say it. You could argue that this would be a justified bit of revenge, but it's still part of a smokescreen to remove his own guilt. Something I love about this movie is how it portrays the complexity of seemingly simple ideas and concepts that we see in countless westerns like bank robbers, a ranger, and revenge as muddled by reality. Sure, some criminals may live for violence, but how did they get that way? Were they just born that way, or were they born into terrible circumstances? Hell or High Water doesn't have answers about what's right or what's wrong. Instead, it wants its audience to dig deeper and look into how and why people behave in violent and desperate ways. This has been Scott's Self-Indulgent Movie Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to join our Facebook group, Scott's Self-Indulgent Movie World, for the latest reviews, discussions, and more. See you next time, everybody, and stay safe.